Hi, everyone. Welcome to Chasing Brighter. Today's episode, we are going to be discussing one of our most recent books from our book club, which is called Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. Brene Brown quotes in the very top as being a transformative read, which I agree with. I think this book is very much um, part of a quintessential um, read for those who are beginning their um, self-discovery journey. This is Jessica. This is Kelly. The Chasing Brighter podcast. And we have a special guest today. This is my daughter, Gabriella. She's 14 years old, going to be a freshman in high school. Hi. I thought this was a great episode for Gabby to join us. And I know that in the book, um, Kristen talks a little bit about uh, self-compassion and parenting and, and teaching self-compassion to your children and, and special tips for self-compassion for adolescents. And I think that's something we can get into a little bit, but I find sometimes, yeah, so you can be tough on yourself. Yeah. So I thought this was good to kind of begin that journey of self-compassion younger. So maybe I can get this next generation, uh, to be, uh, kind to themselves a little bit earlier than, than I learned. Yes. And, um, I think that the, um, I totally agree. I definitely feel like I struggled with that one for myself as an adolescent. And, you know, I think the early phases of the book where it talks about, um, critical self-talk is one of the ones that was something I feel like I started to do at a very young age, being very hard on myself And I remember my mom always would say, I don't know, Jess, if she ever said this to you, but I would really be upset and down about something and beating myself up. And my mom would always say, Kelly, you are your own worst enemy. And I feel like that was the epitome of being like critical, being critical of myself and talking to myself very critically. Um, Gabby, how about you? How does that resonate with you? Well, no one has actually said the same thing to me, like, when I was down on myself about, like, if I struck out in a game, and I was just, like, really upset, and I, like, would push everyone away, like, my dad would try to talk to me, and I would just kind of, like, show him attitude and, like, walk away and just ignore him. Like, I know that's not nice, but I was upset, and when Nona like when you say she said that to you and then when she says it to me it like makes a lot of sense like it's me negatively putting something negative in my head saying like I can't do it like I'm always messing up and it's kind of me I don't know I don't know how to say it but um do you feel like others are saying that and you're 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 thinking other people are thinking that too um Yeah, I kind of think my coach is, like, upset with me and my teammates. Like, I I feel like I let my team down from, like, striking out constantly. If I, like, am in a game and I can't get a hit, I just kind of think that I'm letting my team down and my coach down. So I feel like they're upset at me. I see it. Did you, Kel, did you take the quiz? Yes. The self-compassion quiz? Yeah. You did? Yeah. And then, so the quiz really gets to, I think the three elements of self-compassion and kind of like the, I would, would, the antithesis to that, right? So there's on the one side, self-kindness, on the other side, self-judgment. 
on the one side, recognition of common humanity on the antithesis isolation. Um, the third element, mindfulness, and the antithesis to that over-identification. So I hear Gabby really talking about self-judgment there, right? Versus self, self-kindness. So there's a quiz at selfcompassion.org, um, which is the author's website. And um, it's actually a great website because she she gives a lot of tips and strategies and exercise to you all free. Um, and then she also offers courses and, and classes and workshops. Um, but we went ahead and took the quiz and it goes with her, it li- aligns with her three elements of self-compassion and, and it's a scoring from one to five. You want to score high in the self-compassion areas of self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. And you want to score low in self-judgment isolation and over-identification. So on self-kindness, how did we all score? Kelly? I was a 3.8. Gabby? I was a 3.2. 3.2. I was a 2.8. And three is about average. So you two are above average. Um, I need I need to do some work. I need to get back to the exercises in the book for the self-kindness. How about for self-judgment? Kelly? 2.8. 2.8. Gabs? 2.4. I was a 3.2. So opposite, right? We want so to those be- are showing, yep, those are showing less like below a three. It seems like she's so and, and she said uh you have low compassion on that one, right? If if you're high, you're low. So I Correct. need to improve. Those are probably my worst scores on self-compassion and self-judgment. So that's where I need to do some work. And how about recognition of, of common humanity? So what, where I understand this to be, I don't know what you guys are understanding, but like versus isolation. So, so do you recognize that this is just part of being human? We have flaws versus isolation I'm the worst. I'm the only one like this. No one understands. I'm terrible and no one can possibly comprehend, you know, how terrible I am kind of thing. So for um, recognition of common humanity, uh, Kelly, what do you have? I had a 3.25. Gabby? I had a two. Two? Hmm. I had a 3.5. So go ahead. Can we pause there? So um, Gabby, would you say then, you feel that your 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 issues or your struggles are unique to only you more often than not? Um, not really. It was the way the questions were asked. Like Okay. So that's kind of like why I think I interpreted the questions differently. Because I didn't think of it like I'm the only one with this issue. Because obviously everyone who has issues goes through the same thing. But Well, I'm no expert, so maybe I'm just asking the question poorly. Well, I think, do you think, Gabby, when you are going through something, even though, yes, rationally, we can all sit and say other people have it worse or whatever, but when you're kind of in the middle of it, like, let's say you strike out or whatever, when you're in the middle of it, do you have a hard time seeing like, oh yeah, so-and-so who I think is the best player strikes out sometimes, or oh yeah, so-and-so makes mistakes. At that moment, are you thinking, I... God, I really let everybody down. And you're kind of wrapped up in, in your self. 
sorry. Yeah, I guess like a little bit. Like I'm not like completely. I'm not completely <laughs> saying that it's like everything my fault, and I'm not saying like I'm the only one that strikes out. But I do put pity on myself, and I'm upset myself. So kind of, you know. Like in that moment, having yeah. a difficult time seeing other, yeah, others whatever how about for you Kelly what's that experience like for you I would say just because of the fact that I've you know I'm older I have more personal actions with people I feel that um from a humanity perspective it's very common I mean we also do a lot of reading Jess right so I know you know when I'm hard on myself I realize others are too and so from a common humanity perspective, I do feel um, similar to the rest of the world in that way. I think that one of our cats really aligned with you on that. Did you hear the cats meowing in the background? Because it was, I don't it know if it really will show up, but it was very them. loud on our end. And it was only while you're talking. Oh, <laughs> here he comes. I think he is Dying. feeling your experience. He wants to align with you on that. <laughs> Um, that and then I think it's and then the isolation part. How do you score on isolation? I was relatively um, low, one point five, but I was one point seven five. One point seven five, and then um, but mine actually was really high on that. I was four point two five, which now is that very I, high. I took the quiz before I read the book. I did too, but I think. When I'm really in my distortions, I would say one of my biggest struggles would be feeling alone in something, like feeling like I'm the only one with that experience. I tend to kind of separate myself when I'm feeling down about myself what I fight is the one, the, like, um, Brian and I used to call it like, um, armadilloing where we just want to go back into our shell and just kind of like be alone. And so I, I realize even through the book, right. When you do that, you make it worse, right. When you start isolating yourself, especially when you're feeling pain, um, in a lot of ways you make it worse. So for me, it's like trying to like give myself a little bit of time alone, but then also trying to open up because then it also ties to vulnerability and other things, right? When you make mistakes, everybody makes the mistakes and um, just kind of facing them head on. When you're isolating or armadilloing, are you thinking that experience is unique to you and no one understands? I would say sometimes, yes. I find it. So I went to see a, um, a, a spiritual healer last year and she was like, I tapped into you last night. And she was like, I don't know what's happening, but you're just wandering in a wasteland and there's nobody anywhere. And, and she said, I've never seen this before in my entire career. And I was wondering if I could wow. tell other people about it because I've never seen that before. And she's like, what is going on with you? And um, so for me, it's like opposites. It's not like physical isolation, right? So no one would mm -hmm. know, but it's mm -hmm. like in my brain, I can get, and I hadn't experienced that before. And then um, I, I get in a way 
where it's like, I can't go to anybody with this. No one will understand. I'm totally in this alone. I don't know where to go to find a common, like common humanity with anybody on this particular situation. So it is interesting to me. I look at it like the antidote seems simple of recognizing other people's experience and that you're not alone and to really focus on that. And in the book, she gave that example of um, finding out that her son was on the spectrum, but first she was alone in it and she avoided it. She, she saw that there were, you know, she looked up everything and had every specialist ever, but avoided the diagnosis of autism. And then she took a little quick, cause she said he's loving and hugging and he makes eye contact. And she took a little quiz online and it said, if your child scores three of 10, you really should go to a provider to rule out autism. And her son scored nine out of 10. And the only one he didn't check was making eye contact. Um, But she said first she had, you know, she was in this isolation about it and then having to find out, wait a minute, let me look for a community. Let me look for where um, this is just part of our human experience. Yeah. um, I remember reading about that part in the the book. I agree. It goes back to, you know, part of um, like happiness is just those personal connections. And it seems like when, when you go through challenging times and experience pain, um, having that personal connection with other people really helps get through it. And that, that what do we have next here, Jess? The final piece, final piece of like, where'd you score on mindfulness? 2.0. So I scored a four. 2.75. Oh, definitely an area that I've got to continue to work on. What would you score, Kel? I scored a 2.0. And then over identification, three point seven five. Um, two point seven, two point two five. I scored a three. I liked the way that she had a quote from from John Kabat-Zinn. He's a big mindfulness person since like the seventies. I have some of his meditations, but um, on this, I think the best way to summarize it is is the quote: "You can't stop the waves, but you can yes. learn to surf." Yes, I actually that highlighted that one too. I love that one. Um, it it really um, grabbed me as well. So learning to surf would be mindfulness and over-identification would be frustration and focus on the waves and that you can't control the waves, right? Is that how you would interpret it? I think that's, I think, yep. What do you think, Gabby, about that quote? You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. Um. You can't stop what already happened. You just got to keep moving forward and learn how to um, cooperate with it, I guess. Yeah. Like let it flow. Another, right. Letting it flow. Yeah. yeah. Focusing on the feelings rather than the pain. So she had the exercise. So at, on each chapter, she had exercises. I didn't do any of the exercises, but did you read the one? on? <laughs> uh, I want to go back and go through it. It was just, there was a lot, but she had the ice. So on that one, the exercise would be you put ice in your hand. Oh yeah, that was because it becomes uncomfortable. Yeah. Take it off and then put the ice in your hand. And then when it becomes uncomfortable, focus on just watching the ice melt, focusing on the coolness, focusing focusing on the sensations, and then asking yourself, was I able to hold onto the ice longer when I allowed the discomfort and just focused on 
on being in the present. So that I thought that was a really interesting exercise. The first time, yes, it's on you. Don't feel uncomfortable. Just have grace in your at all. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then maybe you're already. Exactly. You probably scored a five on mindfulness. Okay. I'd say. She has a whole section, you know, a couple chapters really on kind of kicking off that the idea of mindfulness. And I also liked she had an exercise about the noting practice, um, making soft mental notes whenever a particular thought, emotion, or sensation sensation arises. Thought that was interesting too. So just, just kind, kind of, of like journaling, or you're saying yeah, internally note it, even mentally note it. Even she definitely talks about journaling too, but it's almost like part of mindfulness is consciousness. Right. And, you know, when you're experiencing a particular emotion, sensation, or thought to just take a moment and be conscious of it and being aware of even some discomfort. I think that's something that is really a benefit to train the mind to do is because sometimes for myself, I can be very reactionary, especially when it comes to parenting. And instead of really thinking about taking a moment to, you know, be conscious of whatever that emotion is and then figure out how to let it flow. I like in that, in the, in that chapter well as well, I liked all of her little anecdotes and personal stories. And that was the one where um, her mother and mother-in-law took her Toyota hybrid and they took their son, her son on a trip. And they were very nervous about the hybrid. It had keyless entry and all the new technology and everything. And they took their son out and then they, they went back to the car and the key wouldn't open the door and they couldn't get open. They couldn't get open. They called Toyota. Toyota called them to call a locksmith. They called a locksmith and then they went over to the security guard and they're like, we can't get in the car. And he was like, this isn't a hybrid. This car isn't even a Toyota. And they looked and the cart was three spaces over. <laughs> they weren't even in the right car. <laughs> and so, but I think that, right, you get so wrapped up in the technology. I, you know, like your, their head, it's almost like anxiety, right? Like, we're yeah. like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. And because you are so focused on that, you weren't able to pull back and like take a step back and look and say, hey, maybe this isn't even the right car. I thought that was such a great analogy. Absolutely to pull, to be able to pull back and look at the, the bigger picture and not get all up in, you know, the over-identification. What do you think of that story, Gabby? Um, well, your old car was like a lot of other cars. So I used to get mixed up with those cars, <laughs> but that's not like, obviously what you're asking, but <laughs> I'm just like, that's what I thought of when you were talking. About do you ever that. think you get hyper wrapped up in something? And then when you pull back, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah like first tests and stuff um like for the exam for like exams for math I was like super like scared of messing up so me and Charlotte did like the what's it called practice tests or no we did uh we did the math to see what I what the lowest lowest I could score to we kind of made our odds to see if I scored this much would I be able to still pass the class and stay in accelerated and I, I passed. Yeah. You were like, oh, if I get, I'm just making this up. If I, I could get a 65 and still get a B no, I, or whatever. If it right? was like, if I got a 70, I would be able to still pass. Yeah. Still B. get a B. And I got a 75, but then she rounded it up to an 80 bonus points. So yeah. I passed. Woo, woo. <laughs> it was really hard test. So, but that was still kind of getting all 
wrapped up in the oh, weeds. Oh yeah, I was right? I was crying. Yeah, yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, and it says people who are self compassionate are less anxious and depressed because self compassion is a major protective factor. So that's interesting. I thought that was yes, and compassion self-compassion equals more compassion for others. It's like a circle, right? And then self-compassion, more more compassion as a parent. She talked a lot about that language of a parent. So like, if you didn't get gas and you're like, I'm sorry, guys, I'm such an idiot. I forgot to get gas. Got to pull over at the gas station or, oh, you know what? Kids, I had a really busy week. It's all right. We're a little low on gas. We're going to go to the gas station. So you can grade me on my parenting self-compassion. I don't know. Am I hard on myself in front of you, or do I pretend like I have it together? <laughs> it depends on the it depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> I think uh, yesterday in the morning, I woke up to screaming, "Where's the Windex?" Yeah, where was the Windex? <laughs> and I was like, Listen, "I woke up, Windex I ASAP. so high out of my bed. <laughs> I thought the house was on fire. I ran down the stairs. I was like, "What do you need?" And then you're like, "Where's the Windex?" And I was like, "I don't know." And it like kind of scared me. Yes, like, it's clearly an emergency. It was a nine one one level situation. Was, you weren't screaming like that. It was just really loud enough that I could hear it up the stairs in my room with this noise machine on. Yeah, so, so I could have. And then you got taken some breaths, putting time limits on my phone. Yeah, so I showed I the kids by shutting down all their apps today. I'll I mean, show you. I did it yesterday too. I didn't do it. Yeah, we had that over the weekend as well. There's a whole section on parenting adolescence, and it talks about the challenges that adolescents have on, you know, they're asking themselves what other people think of them or not really even thinking about what their, that their situation is their that their situation is actually not unique, but they think that it is unique. And um, there's the quote in the book from Mark Twain, which I think he is so brilliant anyway, that was when I was 14, my father was so stupid. I could hardly stand to be around the old man. When I turned 21, I was simply amazed at what this elderly gentleman had learned in only seven short years. Yeah. I liked that quote. Um, And so, sorry, go ahead, Cal. No, you, I was, I was just going to probably say the same thing. So I, I just thought that was interesting. And I don't know if you feel that way where you are right now, Gabby, in your developmental years, um, of feeling that, you know, in times where you're like, um, at, in conflict with your parents. And you know, more than us and also feel misunderstood by peers. Do you feel like, you know, more than dad and I No, that we're idiots? Not. No. And you're like, you don't guys don't like get it. But some things that you guys like, aren't like, I'm not saying you guys don't know it, but like, you guys haven't looked into it a lot. Like, um, sometimes like it kind of like talking about Nona now because like you know how we were talking about the LGBTQ community and how like my friend goes by they pronouns and then Nona was like well I don't get it why do they go by they pronouns and I was really ticked off about it and it's also because like she didn't like exactly grow up in I feel like a community like I know they were friends with a lot of lesbians but they didn't use different pronouns I don't think but it still like kind of made me upset and I got really mad at her about like saying that and I was just kind of frustrated because like I feel like the older generations aren't like as I'd say open-minded maybe yeah Mm -hmm. like uh, I don't know Papa's 
point of view on it. I know that it, he'd probably bring up something political, but I wouldn't really ask him about it. Yeah. But I know Nona, she's open to it, but it's just going to take her time. I don't think she's really open-minded to learn about so it. So do you have compassion then for someone, I, I think for your generation, and I know we've talked about this in Pat's podcast, Gabby's Gen Z. I don't know. I just feel like there are more open-minded, again, just my experience with my kids in my corner of the world, just more um, open-minded and loving and compassionate. And, and so that goes both ways, right? Can you be loving and compassionate for someone who wasn't exposed, right? Who doesn't know any better? Like, I don't think Nona came from a place of exclusion or hate. She genuinely didn't understand. I thought she was open to your explanation, right. Of like why that would be important and why that was, that's important for your friend and, and why, you know, I, I guess I was more mad. Um, it was the way I interpreted her confusion. Cause I don't know. She hasn't really like, uh, she's been confused, but like, not like asking me to help her. So I guess I was more mad that like, she just made such a sweeping comment. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I didn't think of it as a confusion. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Can we have compassion for others whose beliefs vary so differently, differently from our own and how can we see their humanity and focus on what we have in common with them, right? Versus focusing on what we don't have in common. Um, yes, I will. I think that that is a real challenge. And I was trying to, I read something today that caught my eye regarding that. And I was going to try to find it. Oh, it was just about, I think, um, using that, figuring out ways to teach. So as parents, we set examples of being, you know, exuding self-compassion, being the example of self-compassion. I think in a lot of ways, a lot of folks who maybe sometimes people who are very hard on themselves tend to be even more troubled and may have more internal conflicts and mental health becomes a real factor in that as well. Um, and trying to figure out ways to exude compassion. Um, she did talk in there about um, a homeless person who wiped windows um, or cleaned windows and how, um, you know, seeing them as humans, just simply that, um, seeing them as as the fact that they, you know, like, you know, that whole, like everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time kind of thing. Yeah, um, well, I think, she, and because at first I was like, I don't know, maybe it was just her choice of like homeless person, but it was more because, Right. Wasn't she like they were washing windows, like just coming up and like washing your window and like jumping at you and thinking, ah, like, what is this person doing? But standing, pulling back and being like, okay, here's this person trying to earn a living any way they can. And can I find my, a common experience with that person? And I think, um, even people who think differently than we do, especially in a very polarized political climate, um, it's compassion for maybe a lot of that strong emotion is coming from somewhere, right? Maybe being compassion for what that strong emotion is um, and working on ways to helping others nurture care for themselves. Um, yeah. I think for me, I don't get so riled up. 
I don't get so riled up when people come at me with ideas I think are crazy, but I don't, I'm sensitive to that anger. And I'm like, why is this person so angry? And so I would say that's where my compassion is. Like you're saying, clearly this person is having some struggles because for them to have that, you know, for a person to have such a high level of anger about something tells me something's out of whack here. And so I'm not going to internalize that. I'm just going to say, oh, wow, that person must be really struggling. So I wish them well and not kind of taking that on. But I think like, I don't, I think I can work. I, I liked a lot of her suggestions in the book about parenting and ways that you can say something different and that she heard her son say, uh, like she always asks him because he has a lot of tantrums being on the spectrum when when something kind of goes a little off, you know, kilter out of his routine and he will have a tantrum and she will say to him, we can choose to be sad and we can choose to be happy. And sometimes he chooses sad, but she asked, but she heard him one time she was really upset the day wasn't going the way that she wanted. And she asked him or he asked her, mom, do you want to be sad or do you want to be happy? <laughs> so just like that we're mirrors to children and they see how we are treating ourselves and they will reflect that. Yeah. There was a, there was a section on here, even about just those who are more self-compassionate tend to be able to achieve more and they allow themselves to, it's like accepting failure, right? Um, But really kind of facing, facing challenges and having that resilience, emotional resilience to continue to push through with that. And I think, you know, we both are parents of kids who are in sports. And I think from a young age, you know, maybe that's a great, that is a great um, early opportunity to teach your kids ways to um, be kind to themselves and loving to themselves um, in those environments. Because also, you know, I was just talking with some friends yesterday just about how you can't control other parents. You can't control your coaches on how critical they can be um, to your child or others when it, you know, from a self-compassion standpoint, it's not, not necessarily the right behavior. You can't control other people. So from a very early age, teaching, teaching kids to kind of be mentally tough in that way and learn their own self-compassion and not have, you know, the opinions of others reflect their own internally, um, their own feelings. How do you think, Gabby, you're kind to yourself? And when are there moments where you feel like you notice you're less judgmental or you can get out of that headspace? Um, when I'm kind to myself, kind of sad that I don't know. Where you hop on the surfboard and ride the wave and don't let it flip you over. What are things that help you? So even like when you make a mistake in a game, how do you push yourself through that? Um, I have the memory of a goldfish. You just kind of pretend it didn't happen. Like it didn't happen. You just kind of forget about it. Um, yeah, it's, I think in sports, the reason why it's so hard for me not to like take it so hard is because my first the child ball coach was really not a good coach to start off I don't it was very hard he was very uh, verbally abusive is that like I feel like that's too far but like he was aggressive yeah he was aggressive and had a lot of criticisms it was well it was also if you made a mistake you'd be pulled 
Like for her, if she made one mistake, she'd be pulled out of the but middle if of the game. Like daughter, or like if someone like this one girl, I feel like he had longer leashes for some girls on the team, specifically if their dads were rich and were paying <laughs> off the team. Some kids could make several mistakes. You could make one. I could make so one. So that kind of I couldn't even make. <laughs> was hard for you to then. Yeah. And then if someone else made a mistake, I would be yelled at too. I don't. Yeah. It was so is he still in your head? So if we look at why is it, Ray, why would it be difficult for you to play against his team? To have a memory of a goldfish. Because um, I guess, yeah, he's still like, not him, but like his coaching techniques, like yelling at me and stuff like that. It kind of like, maybe my coach will do that. Maybe my coach will just snap one day and just like yell at or something. So you're like waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting to be pulled. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. But I try with the memory of the goldfish thing. It works most of the time, but it's also harder when like, because you know how like you say I'm an empath and stuff like that. It's harder when like your teammates are all down because I need people to cheer. I need other people. Like even if I'm not up to bat or I'm not playing, I need other people to cheer. Like that's why I cheer all the time. That's why I'm always even I'm sitting, I'm cheering for someone. I'm cheering for everyone. And it's kind of like, that's like Aka said the other day. Your like, coach? Mm-hmm. Your coach said? Yeah, my coach said the other day, um, Leah needs energy because she feeds off energy. And I think everyone else needs to feed off of energy. And that's why we were kind of like, we were all down. And then we all just started cheering and everyone started getting hyped. And like everyone, if they messed up, they just kind of rolled it off and it didn't happen. So I think I also depend on other people. Especially so like in a team aspect, we all have to be, it's a little bit of both, right? It's, but that's also about expressing compassion toward others, right? So in the book, it talks about in a lot of ways, it's very easy to um, be compassionate toward others than it is to be compassionate toward ourselves. And so I think that was part of it. And in sports, it can be that way where you're helping, you know, and I thought about this, even when I beat myself up about something there was an exercise um, in one of the books I've read that was about like, if you, when you're going through something like, what if it was your friend, what would you tell your friend? And like, it seemed like I, I, when I did that, I realized how I'm so much kinder to my friends than I am myself about challenges. The one thing that I wanted to call out in the book as we kind of like wrap this up. And I know Jess, you talked about the website and even going back to the mindfulness piece was in the, the self-compassion on the website, which is self-compassion.org, there's a whole section on some uh, on mindfulness. And there are these wonderful guided practices that I felt like were short, short mindfulness activities, um, tender self-compassion, motivating self-compassion. And they're five to seven minutes. And it really, you can take a specific you know, mindfulness, um, meditation. Um, what do I want to say? Like goal, what's your intention An intention. Um, so from a motivating, um, mindfulness exercise, it's sort of like, what is your intention for motivation? So what are you trying to get motivated to do? Even if you have to take seven minutes of a mindfulness to get motivated to go to the gym. <laughs> um, but it's about sort of like, what is that goal? And then t- doing that, which I thought those could be really 
um, powerful. You know, I really appreciate those mindfulness practices that are less than 10 minutes because many of us who don't always feel like we're running every which direction, even taking that five to seven, seven minute break um, has huge benefits. I also like um, the, the final activity that I really liked was she said, think about a trait that you often judge yourself for. And that is an important part of your self-definition. So she gives an example of angry, right? How often do you display this trait? Um, who are you when you don't display this trait? Are you still you? And then it says, what are the various causes and conditions that lead you having the trait in the first place? Did you choose this trait? And so what happens if you reframe your self-description from I am an angry person to sometimes in certain circumstances, I get angry. So I really like that identifying a key trait that you're really hard on yourself for and reframing it. I really, really like that. I thought that was really powerful. How can we, on our most judgmental times, identify what you're judging yourself about and reframe it? And I think that's a great step that kind of addresses what you were talking about, Kelly. You're talking about mindfulness. I'm talking about self-kindness. And then that last piece, like we've talked with Gabby about just finding the commonalities. How can we begin identifying what we're going through as a common human experience so we don't feel so isolated and alone. Very well said. I think it's learning to love yourself and appreciate all the aspects of who you are, your personality, your body, um, all those components. And um, that to me was a real, you know, some of the real key aspects of this book, self-compassion. Um, it's, you know, I think we both got paper copies. It's a great it is a great, um, you know, friend to have uh, throughout your life, you know, coming back to this and helping yourself be refreshed in terms of how to practice that. Yeah, perfectly. So get the book. We'll, we'll share the links to the website um, as well in our own um, chasingbrighter.com. So you can refer to that. Thanks for joining us today. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us on chasingbrighter.com or on YouTube at Chasing Brighter or on Instagram at Chasing Brighter.